Hi everyone, Dr. Elizabeth Bonet here. Dr. Liz, welcome to the Hypnotize Me podcast. Before we jump in, please note that the podcast is not mental health treatment, nor should it replace mental health treatment. If you need psychotherapy or hypnotherapy, please seek treatment from a trained professional. I do hypnosis all over the world, so please feel free to contact me through my website, drlizhypnosis.com, D-R-L-I-Z-hypnosis.com. Hi, everyone. Dr. Liz here. I hope you're doing okay. I truly do. I am seeing an increase in my practice and talking with my colleagues as well, that people are really feeling anxious and depressed. So I hope that this episode helps you today, as well as the other ones on the Hypnotize Me podcast. I think everyone is feeling pandemic fatigue right now, meaning like we're tired. We're tired of having a social distance, having to isolate, not truly being able to hug and see our loved ones if they're older, not see all the friends we want to see, not be able to travel. So really people are feeling very tired and often burned out and depressed and sad. So I want you to know that there is help out there, and this does not mean months and months or years of therapy. Hey, the way that I work, as well as Dr. Han, you'll hear today, is typically very quickly. Like, yes, both of us have longer-term clients in our practice. There's some people I see for years, or they come back periodically for years. I really love that model. That's that's the model I typically use for myself, is I go in, I work on a particular problem, and then I feel good, and then I'll go back. There was a time in my life when I spent eight years in therapy every other week pretty consistently, but those times have passed for me. I'm more like I need it periodically. But there's also people who heal very quickly And the type of healing that both of us do is typically on the very short end, right? Meaning a couple of sessions and people feel so much better. They get the help they need. They get back on track or they're doing deeper healing. So please keep that in mind when you're thinking about getting help. I really do encourage you to reach out for it, whether that's through me or somebody else. Now, before I tell you about Dr. Han, I want to let you know that I am running a promotion. I am headed into the fifth year of the podcast, if you can believe that. And I would really love some fresh reviews on iTunes or on Google. If you do a review, take a screenshot of it, email it to me, and I will send you one or two masks. Now, I make these myself. They are double-layered masks with quilting cotton and either another layer of quilting cotton or flannel on the inside, and they have fleece for the ear loop, so they're super soft. Your ears never get tired in them, like the elastics, and um, I really love making them. I enjoy making them, so I've made well over 100 this year for friends and referral sources. So that's what I'm offering. If you would like a fresh mask or two in your rotation, leave the review, take a screenshot, email it to me, Dr. Liz, D-R-L-I-Z at drlizhypnosis.com with your address and I will mail that off to you. Now this does have to be limited to the US, unfortunately. I will pay for postage and shipping and handling and you'll get a nice surprise in the mail. Now, Dr. Han 
tells us some miracle stories, as well as offers some practical advice about how to heal. We talk about how he discovered he was a healer, the one reason that people go to therapy, where struggling and suffering starts, and how to never suffer again. He is a licensed clinical psychologist. He received his AB Magna Cum Laude in Social Studies Psychology from Harvard University and his PsyD in Clinical Psychology from Hahnemann University. He's certified by Helen Palmer to teach the Enneagram and has also been a faculty member in the Graduate Counseling Program at Leslie University and Northeastern University. So he is quite accomplished. He is the founder and creator of Life-Centered Therapy and the training program as well. And currently he has a private practice in Massachusetts in the United States, but he does video, online work all over the world. So I hope you enjoy the interview as much as I did. I truly felt it shifted my perspective about many things. So I hope you have the same experience. Peace. Hi, Dr. Han. Welcome to the Hypnotize Me podcast. Hi, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me. I am really honored and I'm really looking forward to this and to talking about hypnosis and sort of other ways of doing similar things, actually. So absolutely um, really excited. Yeah. Yes. So why don't you give the listeners um, a short history about your path and how you found this technique? It's a guided self-healing. Well, we actually call it life-centered therapy. We changed our name from guided self-healing three years ago. We started calling it life-centered therapy. So we're actually, that's our website is lifecenteredtherapy.com. Guided self-healing for us is we do our we do trainings for people who aren't interested in being practitioners, and we call that guided self-healing. Ah, got but it. We the over the umbrella is called life-centered therapy, and when they do, if it's more someone who wants to learn how to do it with other people, also that's that. Okay, okay so the the second one is more for professionals. A little more for professionals, okay. and the first one is a little bit more for people who are sort of seekers who want to do their own healing. That's those things. Um, I'll tell you a little of my background, okay? I'll try to do this. Um, I'll give you a, a fair amount of my background as quickly as I can. All right. My training, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. I got a PsyD in 1985, okay? And I was always a little bit edgy, but and as a PsyD, I get all kinds of trainings, uh, although I skipped the one class on Ericksonian hypnosis to my eternal regret. regret. <laughs> but anyway... Right. Um, but I didn't know about that stuff back then 35 years ago. So it was kind of new. Um, and then, um, a few years after that, I had something like an opening and, um, I started having very, what are non-rational experiences like telepathic experiences and psychic experiences. And it ended when I visited a friend who was on spiritual retreat. And the very short story is she fell the day before, um, I got there and hurt her ankle very, very badly. And it was discolored and swollen and she was in very bad pain. And she was at a, she had gone on spiritual retreat to a place called the Self-Realization Fellowship in California and had given up her whole life as the fourth highest person in the UN. And I said, that's interesting. I have wow. to visit her. So she took me to this, this 
beautiful place. And we did this heart chanting service for an hour and a half. And then we're walking around the holy grounds. And we get to these two benches and she says, you're going to have to carry me out of here because I can't walk anymore. The pain is too great. She'd been sort of leaning on me. So she sat down at the end of one bench and I sat down at a very strange place, which was the end of the other bench, which I had to kind of circumambulate so she could put her foot on my leg. I wanted to be able to elevate it. And when I sat down, I was flooded with energy, light. It was like not the sun because I knew where the sun was. Uh And this this was far more intense and far more diffuse. And I just told her to give me her ankle and she gave me her ankle and I just rested on my, my leg and I just started channeling the light through my hands to her ankle for about five seconds. Um, and then I had a sense we were done. And at that point she said to me, she said, you know, I can read auras, don't you? I didn't know my friend at the time was an Indian mystic. And I said, this is in 1991. I said, uh-huh. Roshan, I'm a nice boy from Boston. What do I know from auras? <laughs> and she said, yeah. are you aware that you have light coming into the crown of your head, very powerful light and into the center of your chest and out your hands to my ankle. And you also where you sat in a very strange place. And I said, yeah, because I want to do, well, she said, you sat in the seat of the healer where no one virtually ever seats. sits, sits on uh-huh. And she, and she's, um, I said, I can't see that light, but I know it's there. And then we looked down and there was no discoloration. There was no swelling. She got up, there was no pain and she walked out of there. And I sort of said, we're not in Kansas anymore. And, Whoa, and I, yeah. So then I started to study wherever I was led. And I took mystery trainings and hand-on healing trainings. And I studied the Enneagram deeply. And I studied psychosynthesis and regression trainings, past life regression trainings. I studied all kinds of stuff. Uh-huh. And then it happened for about two years. And then I'm two years, I didn't know that was the end of that. And um, two years after that, that whole incident, of, an acquaintance said, you have to go see this woman. She's doing miracles in New Jersey. And I was open to miracles any place. And she told me a story, which I'll tell you briefly, which is that this woman whose name was Judith was doing, she was running a workshop and a person came whose asthma was so bad she could barely walk up the stairs. She was wheezing so badly. Mm-hmm. And Judith did something called applied kinesiology or muscle testing, which I had never heard of. I don't know if you know muscle testing, yes. but mm-hmm. very few people. Not in depth, but enough to know what it is. All right. You well, know? Well, well, I will explain it to your audience and you if you want later, because okay. I think it's an unbelievably good tool to access sort of your soul's wisdom. But she's doing this muscle testing that I'd never heard of. And then she, it says that this woman's supposed to tap all over her body while she is telling a story. And, um, she did that, and then um, she walked out. She, Judith said, why don't you walk outside and see if you feel different? Because the muscle testing said her asthma had cleared. So the woman walks outside and starts to walk and then starts to run. And she runs up and down the street. And she came back, and she was exhilarated but entirely winded. And she said, well, that's not a big surprise because I haven't been able to run a step in seven years. So I thought that was a pretty Whoa. wild story. Yeah, okay. yeah. It turns out that Judith lived 10 miles from me and Judith was just starting to train people. And Judith was trained by, Judith had no psychology background at all. Uh She was a neurobiologist who had studied NLP and then found this amazing teacher in California whose name is Mary Louise Muller, who was a craniosacral therapist Mm -hmm. who developed a protocol. And Judith built on that protocol and added NLP and tapping because she was one of Callahan's original students, if Uh you guys know Callahan, if you don't. He was sort of the originator in our world of, of all of the acupressure interventions. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, he was just starting out and Judith was one of his first students. And then Judith did her own work on 
loss and violence trauma. She did her own original research mm. and she took all that stuff and made a protocol out of it. And then I met Judith and I was this sole psychologist who had all kinds of backgrounds and everything you could imagine in psychology mm-hmm. and Eastern mysteries and energy and regression trainings and everything. And she and I put our work together in the beginning and um, worked together for about two years and sort of mapped out all of the themes that one could get stuck in as we could do it in the universe, sort of universal themes, sort of things like (laughs) neglect and betrayal and not being able to let go or or non-material themes like traumas that are around curses or superimpositions, which are demonic energies, anything that we could find, we mapped. What do you mean and by mapped? We started to we started to say where are these universal themes that people might not be aware of that would get them that would be underlying their traumas that they may have no clue about. And okay. We started, All right. And I I knew a lot about myth, and we started just doing research on our clients. And she'd say Judith was a great researcher, but she was sort of like bottom up, and I was top down. So she would say things like, "I'm seeing this, 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 and this," and it looks like a death wish and a grudge put together. And I'd say, "No, that's the the theme. There is betrayal." Uh huh. But it looked like out of a gr- so we we would build together this whole thing that sort of like was mythic. And okay. anything that people got trapped in that they may not have ever thought of, or, you know, they may come in and say that they're um, anxious, but it may, may be that their problem isn't their anxiety. It may be that they betrayed a trust. And so oh, interesting. So then you're, be, you're bringing in like ancient myth, archetypes. Um, everything. Okay. Parts, everything. And we mapped it all out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but Judith and I are sort of different. Judith is more of a medical model scientist, and I'm was more of a soul psychologist. So we sort of, um, with with some love, went our separate ways. And that was the beginning of what I did. Um, and that was 20, 24 years ago. We and then I started training people. Okay. Um, so that's the background of what I did. And what I do is very simple. That is okay? that is fascinating. Right before we get to what you do, it would, um, it, you know, it's, it's really interesting because I think a lot of psychologists go into graduate school, if you're talking about traditional graduate school, with a, a very like logical mind, right? Like it is about logic and science and um, research. And still today, I think unless you're in an al- more of an alternative school, it's so much about research, research-based treatment and research this and research that and double-blind studies and all that stuff. And I love research personally. But what I found is that when you bump up against the spiritual healing, right, against energies and this, like when you have a direct experience of it, it's a shift that you can't really deny even more. I mean, I guess some people choose to deny it, but it, but that's what I'm hearing happen to you. You started having these direct experiences. You know, this is undeniable what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. They started much younger than that. I didn't give you my whole history. Okay. They started when <laughs> okay. I was very young. I started having those kinds of experiences, but they culminated after graduate school, they culminated in the one about this healing through touch. I mean, yes. like, um, like, you know, when I was very young, poems came to me that couldn't have been written by a nine-year-old because they were from the perspective of grandfathers. Or my parents were throwing a big dinner party for someone one day, and they were all laughing. And I walked into their dinner party, and I was wondering why they were laughing. And they said, because what the guy who was the dinner party was for was a big-time radio talk show host. And they were all laughing because 
someone was on the show and they were talking about ESP and they were all poo-pooing at that. They were laughing. And I said to them, I was 11. I was kind of weird. I said, well, if you could see and everybody else couldn't, how would you prove to them that you could see? Mm, great question, right? I thought so too, but they yeah. couldn't answer question so I walked out of the room. Got it. Yeah, I had um, someone asked me the other day, she said, did doing hypnosis change what you believe spiritually? And I mm -hmm. said, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Because yeah. there's certain experiences that people have, and I myself during hypnosis, that before I had it, I was like, I don't think so. I don't think that happens. You know, and then it's like, well, I guess it does. <laughs> you know. So, um, so back to what you do, you said what you do is very simple. All right, so this is what I tell people, okay? I, I tell people, I say, I can tell you in one minute, I believe, why people go to therapy, what therapy does and how it does it, okay? So this is what I would say. If you come for anything, I don't care whether it's physical, like um, chronic fatigue or chronic pain that nobody can understand or autoimmune disease or um, mental, like anxiety or emotional, like depression or bad relationships or alienation, and you're suffering, I'd say it's only one thing. People go to therapy for one reason only, I think, which is that there's something that couldn't be handled and integrated. Mm -hmm. If you can handle and integrate everything, you will never suffer because you'll be able to say yes to everything. True. So all the only reason you're coming is something couldn't be handled and integrated. And so every symptom you have, you will discover while it really stinks on an ego level is a clue to the thing you couldn't handle and integrate. That's the first mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. The second thing is that, well, so what's therapy? It's simple. It's just mastering what couldn't be handled and integrated. That's what yes. therapy is. Yes. Okay. Then I think it's very easy. And I'm going to tell you why I don't exactly do hypnosis anymore. Although I mm -hmm. think I'm a good hypnotist. When something can't be handled and integrated in that moment, a sensation is born. Mm -hmm a discomfort in the body. So I would say every problem that you're suffering about has an associated discomfort mm -hmm. and every discomfort you have in your body is a narrative. A narrative. Okay. Okay. So if what you could choose to do was face the thing you couldn't handle, which only means that you would be choose to bring all your awareness to and focus all your attention and become the discomfort, then it would be sharing its story. It's not your story. It's its story. I never talk to people. I never regress people because they don't know. And it's much more direct if I can say there is some being who you have access to. And the second you bring your attention there by choice, uh -huh. you are them. Now, you're them anyhow. You're just not aware of it because you're living out their story over and over and over again with unawareness because you have no perspective. Do you so mean, all this mean like, like your soul being? Is that what you're referring to? I think we're all multiples. I think we have an infinite community inside of us. Okay. Of, and I can tell you about that. And any one of them that's traumatized, you can literally feel as a sensation. So you don't think it's about like necessarily this this life, the content, what's exactly going no, on? No. No. It could start in what we call a past life, which would uh -huh. be, you know, reincarnation or karma. It could start with one of your ancestors, which I call, we call genealogical. Uh -huh. It could start in another dimension in a parallel life. It could start in another dimension in a past life where you were an alien. It could start in the future because you can crystallize, you can have a root cause for your problem in the future. 
and then it feels a little different. So if it says the root cause of the, your anxieties in the future, it's like you're getting information from the future and it feels more like a warning. So there's no limit to where something can originate oh, and there's no limit to the stories. Uh-huh. Okay. I will give you an example. Is people work in this lifetime forever and ever. And if they're, if the root cause of their problem is in a, what we call a past life, and uh-huh. if they don't believe in past lives, I never mentioned the word, but I'd say in the imaginal or in personal mythology or in undreamed dreams. Uh-huh. So it says that. What happened to something in the dream, right? Well, who created the dream? You created the dream. You could say your soul did. So if someone has a horrific death in the dream, then maybe the dream is trying to share with you that you have to work on a horrific death, mm, right? Mm-hmm. And that you're experiencing all of life through that death. Oh, but, I love it. I'm fascinating, fascinating. I, okay. I had a call the other day so, for a young woman who was having um, nightmares, and she said she had them their whole life and her whole mm-hmm. life and everything. We talked a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah, I shared with her, like, I had nightmares about dying like I would actually die you know how people say oh you can't die in a dream you absolutely can you know dying and dying and dying <laughs> through mm-hmm. most of my life up until I don't know my 20s or so my, my honor thesis yeah. and uh, undergrad was about nightmares and anxiety and all kinds of stuff eventually they went away so it's like yeah. from this perspective that's working on something not related to this life let's say Quite likely. We, I mean, yeah. I would muscle test, and I'll tell you about that, and I'd muscle test, do we have to work through the dream, uh-huh. at which point you become the dream character? Or I could muscle test and say, is the dream character trying to tell you something about a death that happened in 1634? Uh-huh. We can muscle test all of those things. So we can do a diagnostic in three minutes and find all that out. Okay. okay? So then let me ask you a, a question, and I'm going to share that. Before the interview started, I shared with uh, Andy my ninth grader, my 14 year old is really struggling. And so when you talk about a warning, like it feels like a warning in the body, you know, it feels Mm -hmm. like, woof, right. And when you say it's not your story, because sometimes, you know, my mind went to, Oh, I had postpartum depression and it's a risk factor for kids for later and all this stuff. And it was like, well, but there's nothing to do about that. It's not like I can turn back the clock and not have postpartum depression. You know, it's like, all right, let's stay here in the, the present, but it, it feels like a warning in my body. And you're seeing that feeling, I mean, it's specific, but I'm talking in some generalities here. Sometimes it's from the mm-hmm. future, but not necessarily future now, like this life future, like future, timeline future. This life future, or it could be a future life, a possibility of a future life. Hmm. But, and your postpartum depression, for example, might be um, a death when you died in childbirth in an earlier lifetime, and that's why you're getting depressed. But Mm -hmm. if you never thought about that possibility, you could work on your postpartum depression for a long time. But if it was only about that, you wouldn't get the best result you could get. But if I could find out that a part of you died and dissociated in childbirth and we could take care of whoever it was who died, your postpartum depression would go away in 20 minutes, potentially. <laughs> Instead of like the years it took me <laughs> right, yeah. to recover. I, I believe that. It's so interesting because, you know, my mom always yeah. said she had a really difficult birth with me, like very difficult. And so I see the possibility, like it's related. But, so it might have been something happened four generations ago on your mother's side to someone yeah. who had a work situation and died in childbirth. And then it would have been genealogical. Yeah. If you take, that ancestor was living in you, right? Yeah carry their story. And it's not literally just blood because it's energetic. 
They, your ancestors live in you energetically. Yes. Because yeah. it's not just about your bloodline, although blood carries soul, but let's suppose something happens to one of your ancestors. Let's say something happened to your great-grandmother and it happened after your grandmother was born, but it still may be affecting you. So it can't just be the blood yeah. because in that way it would have been happening. The, the story would have happened after your grandmother was born, but you could still play out that story over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah. Until it's healed. You're saying until it's healed. Until it's, well, yeah, except for the fact that it's often, I mean, if it's one story, it will heal in 20 minutes. Uh-huh. And let's say your daughter has one story of a traumatic death when she was a teenager in another lifetime, mm-hmm. let's suppose, which happens a lot. A lot of people have very awful deaths that they try to master in this lifetime. Mm-hmm. And I could tell you stories about that that would really make you amazed. Um, but if you can handle that one story, you can get symptoms going away. I'll give you an example. Okay. I, I, well, I have a question a, for you. Does, does a person, like you were saying, you know, you don't mention past life if someone doesn't believe in past life, right? It's like, mm-hmm. typically I'm assuming that the client's coming to you. There's a belief that's going on that this stuff is relevant, that they believe in it, that it's, it's going to help their healing, it's going to help their progression spiritually. Yeah. But what if someone doesn't, like my daughter? I, never, you know, I can hear be like, oh, mom, you and your woo-woo stuff, you know? My, my job is to talk to anybody in their language. I can talk to the most traditional doctors, I can talk to the most traditional psychologists, and I can talk to the most traditional teenagers. Uh-huh. I'll find a way that they'll buy it. Got if it. you say you don't believe in past lives, I'll say I, there's a part of me that doesn't believe in them either. So big deal. <laughs> okay. I'll find language that works. Like if your daughter dreams a lot, for example, I'd say, well, say something really bad happened in the dream, but you weren't the main character, but it still really happened. Uh-huh. Well, could that be something about you? Mm-hmm. Or if, if your daughter likes myth, I can say people have their own mythologies. And when you have a myth, who created the myth? It was people. And in the myth, yeah. terrible things happen. Yeah. Or or I'll say it's imaginal, like play therapy for kids, except you're not a kid, but we're going to call it play therapy. If someone's really scientific, I can talk to them about the science of past lives and mm-hmm. how you might do it and the, all the research that's been done. Your belief systems are none of my business. My job is to find a way that you'll say yes. And the reason you'll say yes is I'll say, let's suppose it's all a crock of shit, uh-huh. right? And let's suppose I do one session with you and you're really skeptical, but you're open to trying anything once because you're desperate. And let's suppose after 20 minutes, your major depression goes away. Do you think you're going to care whether it was literally true or not? No. (laughs) Because you're miserable. And if you're not miserable, you'll say, I don't know what the heck that was, but something changed because I don't have my major depression anymore. Right. And then people get curious, like, why is this story that happened where a woman got her head cut off and, you know revolutionary France. And I've been depressed for years and I've tried everything imaginable, including hypnosis, and I couldn't yeah. find any. And then in 20 minutes, it goes away. Yeah. Okay. I got it. Yeah. I believe it. I don't know if you're familiar with David Burns, the author of Feeling Good, Feeling. he just put out a new yeah. Feeling Great. He's total CBT based, right? But it reminds mm-hmm. me of the same type of thing from a the, almost a complete opposite spectrum. But he will say he can talk to someone for two hours and they work through it and everything. And like a 20 year depression will lift yeah, and be gone. Right. right? So we can teach anybody how to do it for themselves or for somebody else pretty quickly uh-huh. because it's very simple. The, the core of it is very simple. 
You just have to find out what the real intention is. You have to find out where it originated because everything after that is an echo. And you have to find out if that being who, whoever that being is, who's traumatized needs anything other than just the share its story while you are not just identify with it, but choosing to identify with it mm -hmm. while you're witnessing and holding it. And then you go from being the one who's reenacting that story unconsciously over and over and over again to the one who is remembering that story. And as mm -hmm. soon as that happens, you're free. That's all Got it, it. takes. It creates psychological space with it. Like you're no longer exactly. identifying with it. Exactly. That's all okay. we're doing. And the way you do that is you choose to become the body sensation. That's why I, and it's way, I, I can tell you this having done both because I, I start talking to people and they go into trance. I mean, like I'm a natural hypnotist. Yes. I went to my first hypnotic training. The guy said, why are you here? It's like you talk to people and they just like go into trance. You don't even <laughs> Yeah. I've had the same it's feedback. So it's so funny. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I will tell you something. Think about it this way. When you're putting somebody into trance, right? Mm -hmm. First of all, you're still talking to them, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And you have to regress them. You have to find a way to regress them. And you're still talking to them. Okay? Yes. Now, what I'm going to say to you is, let's suppose there's a body sensation. And I say, choose to become the body sensation. You're there right then. I'm no longer talking to you. I'm talking to that person. And there, I can tell you in my experience, there's an immediacy about having them become the body sensation and focus on that, which has a hypnotic element to it, except that I'm not hypnotizing Elizabeth. I'm having Elizabeth find who is here right now. Yeah. Because that's the case, now let's suppose I regress Elizabeth to age two, uh -huh. right? Elizabeth might then still become age two and then get re-traumatized. It's possible. Mm -hmm. But if Elizabeth chooses to find the two-year-old Elizabeth that's here right now as a witness, Elizabeth cannot get re-traumatized. I've been doing this for 26 yes. years. Only one person got re-traumatized, and that was because it was my fault. I mean, I, I was getting a little arrogant, and he was, of course, DID with psychosis, but I thought <laughs> I could just do it. Which is, for the listeners, it's a dissociative identity disorder, which they used right. to call multiple personality disorder. So, yeah, and he uh, was cool with that, and he had psychotic features, and I yeah. was... And I, I built in much. I built in a second level of safety after that into our protocol. Yes, and and I think it is. Um, and I do want the listeners to know it is a hypnotist skill that we're not here to re-traumatize you, and that is my responsibility, right? To create right. distance while creating healing and getting the information we need, and and do this, but not for you to be back in the trauma. What I would say to you, in my experience, Elizabeth, the best way to create that distance is to have the one who's the witness choose to become the body sensation. That yeah. intrinsically creates distance. Then you don't have to say to somebody, find a place that was safe for you. Or any of the things that uh -huh. I know hypnotists do to try to get somebody to feel comfortable. Uh -huh. I just say, become the body sensation. Everybody can do it. There isn't one person I've had in 26 years that can't. And then they can go into the most horrific things. And even if they're kinesthetic and playing it out, they know they've chosen it as opposed to the reenacting it. Absolutely. And so after they yeah, I I love it. I it, it's fascinating. You know, the the longer I do this, I feel like the more I learn. And um, I had a session last week. Friday wasn't last week. It's not even been a week. It was Friday, and we're recording this on a Monday, where mm -hmm. um, she had me become the sensation, and it was absolutely yeah. so uh, transformative, informative, informative yeah. to me. Like something yeah. that I really thought wasn't about me, but I know I was struggling with. It was so clearly. I was like, oh my God, that is that is clearly about me. And then, um, yeah. yeah. So 
I would say if your listeners got one thing from today, if it's when they have any kind of thing they're suffering about, if they can scan their body, find the sensation, mm-hmm. choose to bring all their awareness to it and focus on it so much that they become the sensation. So you're no longer Elizabeth, your new name is going to be pounding chest mm-hmm. and then just get receptive. I will guarantee you that you will get a good result. I guarantee yeah. it. That's yeah. all you did. Yes, and- I think, well, I'm imagining that someone has to feel comfortable doing that. Like there, there may be some fear associated with that for some people. So is it the, um, the guidance self-healing teaches them how to do it in a way that, mm-hmm. that feels safer to them? You see a therapist I, versus do it themselves. That's what I'm wondering. Well, they can do it themselves or see a therapist, whatever they like. This gives them, it gives them a, a skill that they can use for themselves. But if they feel like they're over their head, they can always come to a therapist. And if they're over their head, that probably means they were drowning in a past life or something. Mm. But, you know, because everything is literal. Uh-huh. Right. We've trained a lot of people. It just says that you can have a skill. I mean, we've trained a lot of lay people who then go and do it for themselves and do it for their friends and do it, whatever, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. but the only thing about the sensation is if you can find the true intention, I'll give you an example of this. If you can find the true intention, you get a more simple, powerful result than if you just become a sensation without knowing the true intention. Okay. And I'll give you an example of what I mean. Let yeah. me give you a simple example and then I'll give you an actual case. Let's suppose um, you come into my office, a car backfires, and you have a panic attack, Mm -hmm. let's suppose. All right. So you have your panic attack, and like I say, well, what are you feeling in the body? And you say, my heart's pounding. And I say, all right, you're going to become heart pounding, and we find out through our diagnostic it originates in this lifetime. All right. All right, you become heart pounding, and suddenly you say, oh, my God, I'm a soldier in Afghanistan, and this is 2010, and a bomb is going off, and I can't handle it. Then it's simple. It's direct. You kind of have a direct reaction from the loud sound, which is literal to the loud sound, which Mm -hmm. is the problem because the bomb is going off, right? Mm -hmm. But now let's take a different example. Let's suppose the same thing happens, right? And you were in my office, a car, a motorcycle backfires, and you have your panic attack again. But this time, the story is not that you were a soldier, but let's say in World War I, you were the leader of soldiers, and you're not paying enough attention, and you walk them into an ambush where grenades go off and you watch them die, Mm -hmm. all right? Your problem is no longer the sound. That's a symptom that's about something else, right? About, in this case, it would be about betraying a trust. You didn't pay enough attention. So you come into me and you say, Andy, I got four problems, right? My first problem is I have reactions to loud sounds. Makes no sense. My second problem is I'm OCD and I have to do everything right. My third problem is that I hate, every time I get close to being a leader, I sabotage myself. Uh And my fourth problem is when I walk into certain places, I get this really weird feeling. And then I find out, well, what's your problem? Your problem is that in World War I, however you want to understand that, you were a leader of soldiers, you betrayed a trust. I have you focus on a betrayal of trust. We take care of that betrayal of trust. You do a forgiveness practice with those soldiers and you find out something. And then in 20 minutes, if that's the only reason, your OCD is gone, your reactions to loud sounds is gone, your weird sensations when you walk into places that remind you of where that happened is gone, and you don't shoot yourself in the foot and sabotage Mm -hmm. yourself all in 20 minutes because none of those are the problem. The problem was Mm -hmm. betraying the trust, Uh right? Yes. And I've seen things like that. Like, you know, we have this woman in, I'll just give you one more example. We'll go back. But we had this woman who came to um, a conference we did, a behavioral medicine conference we did. And um, 
there are about a hundred and a little over a hundred people in an amphitheater. She comes up and she says, I have this major depression. And she describes, she said, I want to get rid of my major depression. And she describes it. She said, I'm weighed down. I'm helpless. I'm hopeless. I can't move and nothing can help me. And nothing had helped her. She had tried everything. I mean, like mm -hmm. everything. The reason nothing could help her is she's in a story where nothing can help her. So how can anything help her? Uh -huh. it's literal, right? <laughs> yes. So you're always telling your story. And if someone doesn't say, it's not the problem, it's the point. The point is nothing can help you. It's, uh -huh. it's not like we have to fix that nothing can help you. You have to be the one who nothing can help, right? Yes. So I muscle test, which looks like this. And I say, is that your highest intention? It says no. So... I know that's not it. So then she starts to hyperventilate in front of a hundred and some odd people. And she says, whenever I'm in front of a crowd of people, she was in sales. I mean, whenever I'm in front of a crowd of people, <laughs> I have profound anxiety, like they're going to kill me. Ooh. So I say, is that your highest intention? It says, no. So she says, well, I don't think I know my highest intention. And it says, yeah, you don't know your highest intention. Hmm. So I do my diagnostic and I find her highest intention is what we call a death wish. Okay. And that, all of those symptoms were manifestations of a part of her that was experiencing, I want to die. Mm -hmm. So I had her drop into, I want to die, the part of her that was experiencing that. And as soon as that happened, she said, I'm having terrible neck pain. She didn't say it. And, and she had actually, we told us afterwards that she had an accident that explained her terrible neck pain, except she shouldn't still have terrible neck pain. Yeah. No one knew why. Okay. Yeah. And here's why she had terrible neck pain. Here's what she does. She's very kinesthetic and she's in front of us and she starts violently wrenching her neck like this. Right? Uh -huh. Yeah, this is audio. Says, oh. So Andy's right. like wrenching his neck, head, his head right. side to side. Okay. And then what happens is she says, oh my God, there's a guillotine coming down on my head. Oh. And she's screaming at this point. I will not scream for your audience, but she's <laughs> screaming. And they have her face up. She must have done something really bad. She had her face up without a mask on. Mm -hmm. And she's watching this thing come down and mm -hmm. she's weighed down. She's helpless. She's hopeless. She can't move. Nothing can help her. Yeah. So she went to all these therapists and she's kept saying, nothing helps me. Nothing can help me. And they would think that's a problem. And I'd say, it's not a problem. You're just reliving a story where mm -hmm. nothing can help you. Uh huh. So you can't step outside. You can't comment on your story. Everything is part of the story and everything is literal. So if someone says they can't help you, all you have to do is say yes. And okay uh -huh. because that's you know, nothing can and that way it's kind of like the hypnosis except it might be hard to find an hypnosis this past life right yeah it might be okay but i could do the diagnostic she already knew it was a past life so she's screaming all this and then she says i must have died so we know what her problem is she dissociated before she died so i said okay well now we know what the problem for that person is they didn't they're screaming and they say then they they, they have this calm voice and she says i must have died so she didn't know she had died why didn't she know she had died because she left her body before she died so she's got a problem got she it. Dissociates, and then her head gets cut off uh -huh. so i well then we know what we need to do. There's a standard thing you do for a, a traumatic death from another life. You say to the person, okay, now you know what happened. Choose to call all the parts back. It's like doing your own shamanic work. And if you call them back, they will all come because the witness is no longer is then available to them. So we say, call them all back into your body right before you die. And then we find out if you have to find any of your final thoughts or feelings or decisions, because you'll live them out over and over and over again through lifetimes. She didn't have anything more she needed to find. And then I said, all right, so here's what you're going to do. Because the standard practice for this is what we call a Buddhist polo practice, which is basically you choose to come fully into the body and then you choose to leave the body through the crown of the head. Mm -hmm. and just leave the body behind like you're leaving behind clothes. And she says something funny at that point, which you can hear on the tape. She says, which one? The one that's rolling down the hill or the energetic one that's still there? Mm. That was kind of yeah. funny. And 
and she, she said, I know it's the one that's still there, the one that's still there, even though my head's been cut off. And she goes out of it and she says, I see this light, right? Uh-huh. And she goes to the light, she gets this specific smile on her face and she says, I'm done. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then what happens is, I like this story. These are miracle stories. Some things yeah. are not, they take a year to do one symptom because there are 15 layers, but she's in front of this whole crowd of people and they start asking her questions in the amphitheater and you can't, your audience can't see, but she starts turning her neck from side to side to answer the questions. And at that point she says, this is impossible because I can't move my neck this much. And if I could, I would be in excruciating pain. Mm -hmm. And then a little while after that, she says, wait a second, this is really weird because I should be thinking you guys are all going to kill me, but I'm having a great time and I'm laughing with you. Fantastic. Yeah. And then she says, like, I feel light. I don't feel weighed down anymore. And of course, she was screaming. Last thing was screaming is like, she's screaming at God. She's saying, how could you have done this to me? I was a good Christian. She was Christian. Uh-huh. And she said, I'll never believe in you again. She, and she's very spiritual, but she never feels the presence of God. She said, I can even feel the presence of the divine. That took 30 minutes. And I saw her the next year. Uh-huh. And virtually all of it held. Wow. Wow. So when you have one story and all of your symptoms are rounded, it looks biblical. Now, if you have one story and there are 15 layers of it, it looks like it takes a long time. Mm-hmm. So I had a woman who had a blood draw. That's all she wanted was to do her blood draw. And that took us over a year because her blood draw took her to, I mean, if you think about a blood draw, well, what's a blood draw? You stick something, you, something is stuck into you in this case by a man who's older than you are yeah. and he's something into you. And then, blood comes out of what he sticks into you and of course that put her into a total trauma mm-hmm. because she had a blocked memory to really horrendous sexual abuse when she was four mm. which he found out and then that back then which was 25 years ago i had to have her tap the whole thing out and that took six sessions mm-hmm. and then she found a lifetime where she betrayed trust because she had power over people mm-hmm. and so she felt like she had this karmic debt to them so she had to know what it was i mean it went to mm. layer after layer yeah. after layer make it so it was somewhat feasible that she could then do a blood draw with a lot of anxiety after a year. Yeah. But so some cases are more complex. There's more layers to it and others, is more layers. others are simple. Another is simpler. Well, it's just, it's not that they're simpler or more complex. It's just, they have more or less layers. Okay. Okay. Right? Got it. And you know, and then you have to find a way to talk to people about things that they may not believe in. Uh-huh. But I can, I mean, if, the, if your story is like, your tinnitus and your hearing loss is what we call an extraterrestrial implant. I might have to find a way that you can, you can live with that idea, mm-hmm. which I'll just tell you what, what that might feel like, but you can still feel the implant in your head and you can still see the little man who put it in your head theoretically. Uh-huh. And you can still know that it was done because you said you put out this prayer to the universe that you, you thought you were about to hear bad news and you don't want to hear it all of what you've not remembered and then you can say oh and now i see them putting this thing in my hair and now i have this buzzing and then you can ask them to take it out and they take it out and then your tinnitus goes away and like you don't have awesome i get a lot of tinnitus calls so now i'll refer them to you andy (laughs) but no but just have them feel i mean if if, i mean like i'm not saying all tinnitus is extra yeah i understand that it's just an example of one but I mean, you can talk to people metaphorically and say, maybe there was something you didn't want to hear. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Or maybe something came in and did something to you that feels like it's controlling you. I'll find a way to talk to you about it so you don't have to ever believe in extraterrestrial implants. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Abduction by, you know, John Mack. And you, you yeah. know, 
Yes. So um, this has been absolutely fascinating, and I have just been riveted listening to you. But we are coming to the end of our time. So could you please tell people how to find you if they'd like to work with you or do some of your trainings? Sure. The way they can find us is lifecenteredtherapy.com. We all can do this work remotely because we do this thing called muscle testing, but we learn how to muscle test ourselves and do it as surrogately for you. If you don't know muscle Mm -hmm. testing again, it's a way to access a wisdom that's far deeper than conscious wisdom. And that's how we do our diagnostics. Mm -hmm. And then you go on a journey by becoming a body sensation. So if you want to do that, we have all kinds of practitioners. Go to lifecenteredtherapy.com. If you want to do our, we're now doing only online trainings and um, we give you like, you know, all these videos and everything. And then I do two hours of mentoring a week with people and they get that for a year. Mm-hmm. So great. Um, great. Yeah, really lovely. So just go to lifecentertherapy.com. You'll find all of our practitioners and you'll find our central, you know, our core group of people and contact us and we'll be happy to work with you. Uh, the other thing I'll tell you is if you do therapy with us, you'll know within a couple of sessions if it works because mm-hmm. you'll feel different right away in your body. If it works, you'll know right away because the body sensation will just dissolve and then you'll know something's different. Then you go out into the world and see if your life is different. And Fantastic. Thank you so much for being here. And in that information will also be in the show notes, how to find you and um, work with you or get trained. Thank you, Elizabeth. And thanks for doing this. And thanks for your good work. You seem like you have a beautiful soul and very wise. Thank thank you. you. truly enjoying today's episode. Remember that you can get free hypnosis downloads over at my website, drlizhypnosis.com, D-R-L-I-Z hypnosis.com. I work all over the world doing hypnosis. So if you're interested in working with me, please schedule a free consultation over at my website and we'll see what your goals are and if I can be of service to you in helping you reach them. Finally, if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast or tell a friend. That way, more and more people learn about the power of hypnosis. All right, everyone. Have a wonderful week. Peace.